Hi and welcome to the Courageous Mama podcast. It's a place where I love to share, where we can learn, where I hope we encourage, equip and empower ourselves to be the best parent that we can be. I hope you're having a great summer and that you've found somewhere to go. We popped off to the Cotswolds for a few days with all the family and had great fun, wild swimming and just hanging out together. We loved it. So this week, we're going to chat about marriage. When my husband and I had been married for seven years, we went on a marriage course. And I can remember when I shared this with friends at the time, their very different responses. Some said, that's a great idea. Some went and signed up, but others gently took me aside and asked, is everything okay between you and Con? Well, everything couldn't have been better. I'd met Con, a Greek-Australian, whilst I was on a travel year around Australia. It's a very romantic story, but we haven't got time for that today. After seven years of marriage, I was amazed that my holiday romance was still going strong and I was pregnant with our second child. At the time, Con coined an expression that helped the sceptics to understand why we would do a marriage course. We're future-proofing, he'd say, and we really were. We learned some stuff on that course that helped us in the years ahead. So today on the podcast, that's what we're doing. We're doing a bit of future proofing. So whether your marriage is in great shape or whether it's under a bit of strain at the moment, who wouldn't want to keep learning and growing? And I know that some of you listening won't be in a relationship at the moment and perhaps yours didn't go the way that you'd hoped it would. This isn't to discourage you in any way. These are tools for your kit as well. If you're hoping to be in a relationship at some point in the future, it's worth learning some stuff, isn't it? So that we can all be the best that we can be. In the words of Esther Perel, the quality of our lives is directly related to the quality of our relationships. So for all of us, no matter where you are in life, this is great stuff to enrich all of the relationships that you're in but I'm particularly focused on that primary relationship. So 20 years on, when we were invited to go on another course with psychotherapist Margie Wakefield, we signed up again. And it was a bit of a juggle, if I'm to be honest, having to get the childcare and find the time. But it was so worth it. It was the most fascinating course. Not only does Margie have that intuition and those tools, but being certified in different aspects of neurofunction and neurodiversity, she had me totally absorbed. I love knowing why our brains respond in the different ways that they do. It's revelatory. But also why we get stuck in certain places. So learning communication tools that get us past those familiar roadblocks was really liberating. Margie works in Brisbane and in South Africa and here in the Cotswolds where she sees couples and she runs courses. And we have a number of friends who would credit her with helping them get their marriages either from poor shape to good shape or great shape to phenomenal shape. You don't have to be in trouble to invest in your relationship. So she's very well known around these parts. She very kindly spent some time with me during lockdown and I Zoom called her in South Africa during a storm, no less. And you'll hear a bit of that as we progress through the podcast. She and her husband, Pete, had been visiting their family in South Africa during lockdown. And then they made the decision to stay and support their family and help her with the grandchildren. So whilst I wish that I could have bottled the course that we did with her and shared it all here, 
better still, we get her undivided attention for the next half an hour or so. So I started by asking her why understanding how our brains are wired helps so much with relationships. You know, Madeleine, there is a lot of what we call psychoeducation, a lot of things that are very important in relationships around just the differences in gender, and they cause quite a bit of conflict. And the more you know about the chemicals in our bodies, the hormones, how we work, how our brains are wired, the more you can actually differentiate between is this a big problem or is this just a boy thing and a girl thing, a man thing and a woman thing? And it's quite interesting how a lot of the problems that people present with are actually just that. They are just differences in the way we wire. And can you give us an example of that? Yes, well, one of the examples which I find totally intriguing, and this is quite a new little bit of research in the, by the last six or seven years, really, is that in our brains, we have two distinct empathy systems. And I'll tell you about them. The one is the mirror neuron system, MNS, we call it. And the other is the temporal parietal junction, which is the TPJ system. Now, MNS works that I've got a problem. I'll tell you about my problem. And I'd like you to listen and to ask me questions about it and explore with me and to help me understand different aspects of it, to really look at it from all the different angles. I don't really need you to tell me what to do or anything because I'm perfectly capable of getting there myself. But um, just for you to, in a way, hold my hand and walk through it with me. And the mirror neuron system, why it's called that is because very often, this is what women tend to use, women really function very well when they have eye contact with another woman or with another man. That really helps women feel connected and helps us make more oxytocin in our systems. The TPJ, on the other hand, is a system which says, you tell me what the problem is, and I'll try and understand it very deeply. I'll listen as carefully as I can, and I'll do everything in my power to help you sort it out. Now, that tends to be used mostly by men. It's an interesting thing because what happens, how this causes conflict, is that when I'm talking and I'm wanting to explore and explore, I don't necessarily need you to come in and tell me what to do. You know, we call it, this is the Mr. Fix-It syndrome. Yeah. Um, I'm sure so many of us are relating to this already. <laughs> and why it's so difficult is MNSs get driven mad when they're told what to do because it's, it's quite undermining and disrespectful to be told exactly what to do. But TPJs tear their hair out because they try very honestly, very hard, and they really give their full attention and try and help. If we continue talking about it and trying to discuss things and all the rest, they say, but look, we've discussed it and you know what to do, so I don't want to talk more about it. And they tend to close off. So it can really upset TPJs, generally men, because they don't want to go on and on and on around a problem. And it can upset MNSs because they don't want to be foreshortened and told what to do. 
it's so interesting. Yeah. Do we have to go on and on about yeah. this? What? <laughs> go on and on. I'm exploring it. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, there's a very interesting picture in a book that I recently saw about how women's brains are lit up when they discuss things. What lights up most is the white matter, the white matter in the brains, which is the connective matter, which connects up every single part of the brain. When a man is talking, now this is just a generalization, but I'll finish this and I'll talk about generalizing. When a man is talking, the, the part that lights up is the gray matter where he is doing the thinking and the work. And yeah. the other parts aren't as a light as that main part, which is so fascinating because I think women, because of the way they use their brains and their brains are wired, they tend to use all the connective, they, they connect up all the different aspects of whatever the situation is. Whereas the gray matter tending to be used by men really goes very specific. Both of which are hugely important. And that's why it's really important to be married to someone who has the other type of brain, because together it makes for a whole. But can I just mention this when I'm, I am going to generalize a bit in this conversation, because we are all on a continuum of testosterone and of estrogen. And we all have all the different chemicals in us. Women tend to have more estrogen, men tend to have more testosterone. Um, but because we're on the continuum, things that I say might apply very strongly to you, but they also might not apply, this particular piece might not apply that much to you. So just know that it's all okay, but I'm trying to get a kind of a framework in which we can use some of this research and understand how our systems are. One has to generalise in order to cover these topics, but yeah. you're right, we might be on one end of that spectrum or nearer the middle and so on. And of course, we work out as we go, don't we, that we're different, but it is so helpful to fundamentally know that we're built differently. And I know that for my husband and I, knowing I need to explore every avenue of this problem <laughs> before I get my solution has helped him. And likewise, it helps me to know that that's not how he functions either. But knowing that makes all the difference. Information is key. Yeah. And I know that you've got lots of good news for us, Margie. And I know you're going to share a bit about that with us. But first of all, where can it go wrong in relationships? Yeah, unfortunately, we tend to want to relax when we get home and get back into our relationships when we've had busy days and such like. And we don't often hold the same level of consciousness when we're relaxing at home as we do when we're working or when we're seeing our friends and such like. And so things can slip in below the level of consciousness. One of them, which is actually quite a big problem, is when the space between a couple isn't all that great, for whatever reason, they've had a tiff, they've, they're tired, they, they're working too hard or whatever. People tend to just rather not want to spend time in the relationship. They'd rather spend time doing something else. And we call that exiting. Now, exiting is absolutely perfect. We need to all have rejuvenation, rest, relaxation. But if it's at the expense of the relationship, that's where the problem comes in. 
And very often, you know, when the space between us isn't great, we actually don't want to hang out with each other all that much. So we tend to then either stay at work a bit longer or go and do a bit more sport or socialize a bit or become much busier with the children. And, you know, what's so difficult about this concept of exits is all of those things we need to do to have a balanced life. But if we choose to go there rather than connect with each other. Mm. It's absolutely about motive. It's not... I'm playing sport for sport's sake, but I'm going to do a bit more sport because I can't face what's going on at home. That's a different motive, isn't it? Exactly. And, you know, when people are working so hard and such like, it can be seen as very good and all the rest of it. But actually, it's very often an exit and needs to be nipped in the bud quite early because otherwise exits just kind of slip into more serious exits. Affairs, depression, addiction you know when I want to come home to my glass of wine more than I want to come home to you <laughs> it, yeah. it it just slips in without us fully being conscious and mm-hmm. so often couples come into my office and they say actually they still love each other they've got such good feelings for each other they they can't believe that they've got here they can't believe how they've ended up in the divorce court or in having an affair or something like that. And when they realize how inadvertently under the level of consciousness, they'd been exiting quite so much that it leaves the relationship space between them barren, dry, empty, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing, nothing to build on. So my job then is to say, let's close Mm -hmm. all these exits and um, let's try and reconnect in a, in a healthy, vibrant. And what you've touched on there is so important because I know that friends of ours who have gone and seen you, they're not at the point of divorce, actually. They're not necessarily at the point of complete relationship breakdown. They're just at that point of drifting. And it can be, of course, you know, either that cataclysmic time when the children are all sort of a lot and they've lost each other or the children aren't quite so much and they can't find each other again. It's a great point in the podcast to say that's the point to look for counselling, not when you're absolutely at your wit's end. There's such a stigma around counselling. You know, there is. And yet the more workshops we run and the more they are out there, people see what a healthy workable thing it is and how it can really make a huge difference especially when you start learning some of the things that are in our relationship that cause us problems that don't need to cause us problems like this ms tpj thing we spoke about earlier yeah so there's the education side but also the the reconnecting side and you know madeleine that deep reconnecting is sacred it is there's something beyond anything you can fully describe when you learn techniques and ways that you can really reconnect and it becomes more precious when you've experienced disconnection and is that a very precious place for you as a counselor to be in that space with that couple do you know it's absolutely phenomenal that's when I push my chair back because normally I sit quite close and I, they're looking at each other. Sometimes I don't even think they notice that I'm there except that I'm guiding them a bit. But that's when, when they really have got that connection, I push my chair back and I let happen 
what needs to happen. And I almost feel like I, I could leave the room. So we talked there about how you can drift apart, I suppose, is the language that, that we might use. But there are also some some ways that we can quite specifically upend each other, aren't there? I know we had a conversation at one time when you were talking about the four horsemen. Do you want to go through that with me? Uh, that's an amazing piece, and it's such an important educational piece in relationships. And it comes from a man called John Gottman from the Gottman Institute that started years and years ago, gosh, more than 30 years ago. He was one of the, the early founders of relationship research. He identified with his team four things that significantly damage a relationship if they are there on a regular basis. And these four things are defensiveness, stonewalling, criticism, and contempt. Mm. And he said that there's something like a 93% chance of relationships folding if some of those four things are constantly happening in the relationship. And I just want to spend a bit of time on contempt because contempt is quite a difficult one because it's a, it's a verbal and nonverbal one. We hear each other pulling each other down contemptuously if people pulling each other down when they are in, that, in a bad place. But, you know, it can just be a bit of a sigh. It can be a, a raising of the eyebrows when you're talking. It can just be a, a, a closing, of, like a looking away and yep. closing off. It's one of those things that not, people aren't really conscious of being contemptuous to their partner. That's so interesting. Defence, stonewalling, criticism and contempt. Now, criticism and contempt can look similar, but they're not, are they? How would you differentiate those two? Criticism is very much uh, a putting down, uh, um, yeah, a putting down of the other person. Um, it can be done in the most charming way. Like, well, I suggest this or that or whatever, but actually when you boil it down, it's a criticism. Um, that is quite harsh on the other person. With contempt, yeah, it's also putting down, but it's an act of disengaging in a way. Right. And, and, and showing physically as well as verbally that you don't agree, that you don't like, that you don't think it's important what your partner's saying. It's, so they are very, very close, and yet both of them are important. And I would say contempt feels like a slight looking down on the other person as well. Good, good one. Thank you. That's, that's really important. And that's one of the things in relationships is the power balance that mm. is hugely important. And there is rather the, the one up and the one down. Contempt keeps the person who, who thinks they're up there, up there. We are and just having a big storm coming past. So I hope this isn't going to... Is that what the noise is? Yes. How exciting. Yes. <laughs> Another storm. <laughs> Would you say that when it comes to contempt, I mean, we've all got different character types, haven't we? And we're often attracted to the opposite. And would yeah. you say that the external processor, the quick thinker, can fall into the more contemptuous category than, say, the, the slower processor, the more pensive one? And they can look like they're not kind of bringing the goods, but actually they are. They're just doing it in a slightly slower fashion. Mm. Yes, most definitely. Mm. Yes. And it's, it's one of these slightly under the consciousness level as well. 
And often people don't fully realize what they're doing themselves. So that's why I'm saying, just stop and say, what am I doing? Am I doing criticism regularly? Am I contentious? And yeah. what am I doing that's contentious? Am I stonewalling? Am I defensive? And just check in with yourself. It's very easy to blame, but for them to stop when there's problems in the relationship and say, now, what am I doing in all of this? What is my part in all of this? It's mm -hmm. raising our consciousness to becoming much more self-aware, which is exactly what we need in the whole of life, not just in relationships. Uh, and we're not always the best self-evaluators, are we? So I wonder if we also need to be slightly brave and ask our closest friends, what of those four <laughs> do you hear me doing to my partner? And actually yeah. your friends will know. I remember when we came on your course and one of the things you said, and I've used it in talks, you know, totally stolen from Margie, is that that space between you is the space your children grow up in. Yes. And I would also say that's the space you host your friends in. So it's good to ask your friends, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> Where do I fall short? If they see you together. Yes. It's a hard truth that, isn't it? That actually this isn't just our relationship. This is a space in which we're raising our children. Yeah. 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 It makes it really, really important to be aware of that space and to try and keep it as open and connected and vibrant as possible. Mm. And it's very interesting. This tends to be what women see first before men see it. And that's because of estrogen. Estrogen in our systems help us look close by, help us look in our immediate environment. And people with very high estrogen look very closely in at what's going on. So people with estrogen just happen to notice whether the families happens to have eaten their vegetables or not, whether uh, somebody's shoes untied, um, you know, look close, close in. Whereas people more on the testosterone side tend to look outwards, look outwards, for recognition, for status, for competition. Those are people on the high T side. And so they tend to not notice what's going on close by. Now you, you find that high E's, high estrogen people, often know one of the kids is going down with something the day yep. before the kid yep. actually properly goes down. You know, they can see the glassy eyes, they can smell it on the breath, they, they notice. Yes. Whereas very often a T might not even notice when a child is really quite ill. And that's a bit of an exaggeration, but that, that is how testosterone and estrogen work in our systems. How fascinating. That would lead me to a whole new conversation about what happens at menopause, but we probably haven't got time to go there today, have we? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> fascinating. It's fascinating. But it does, it, that's another thing that can cause real problems because people on the testosterone side, on the high T side, find that people looking closely are controlling. And in so many marriages, people feel controlled. Mm. People on the high estrogen side feel neglected, feel left out, feel as if they don't matter, feel undervalued because the, their high T partner is looking outwards as if what's out there, business, okay. 
all the rest of it is what's more important than your yeah. relationship and your family. And of course, the balance of that dynamic will have changed over the last sort of 20 years. There's your typical rolling hasn't been the same. Yeah. Just not to abandon defence and stonewalling, I'm quite intrigued by these two. I had a relationship, I mean, Con and I have been married for 30 years, so please tell me I look far too young to have had a relationship before that. But as it was, I did. Went out with a chat for a couple of years. We did fight a lot, but I can remember that the point where I think it all went wrong was when I stopped fighting. I can remember coming home one day and just not even being bothered to engage Interesting, isn't it? That was far more damaging than the fighting, in fact. Yeah, that brings up a very interesting thing as well in relationships is where the energy is. We normally have one person who's really wanting to fight for the relationship, wanting to have their needs met and all the rest. And one person who seems to be a little bit quieter and a little bit more internal processing and such like. When that balance is there, if it's not if it's not too far along the, the the continuum so that they can't meet each other that's fine when it changes when the one is very explosive and the one is very withdrawn and stonewalled what happens very often is like you said is the person who's kind of trying to do the fighting trying to keep the relationship trying to put the energy in runs out of energy and says i can't do this anymore and turns and goes the other way start stonewalling like you did yourself and interestingly enough very often the person who has been tucked away and just in their own world comes out and starts trying to chase so it's another one of these unconscious dynamics and relationships that are complex but once you understand them and once you know that the the theory about them you can see it and information is powerful, isn't it? Wow. I'm interested that you've made that point because I would counsel couples, not as a counsellor, but as a parent coach. And quite often there's a lead partner, the one that's more interested in the psychology, more interested in bringing sort of external information into the relationship. Would you say there's usually a sort of coach among the couple? There is, there is. And actually it's the person who's the identified coach often the person with estrogen, and it's their job to really coach the people who haven't got that much time because they're busy looking outwards with their high testosterone, they're busy functioning very much outside. It's really important for that person to have permission, give themselves permission to be the, the relationship coach, to say, hey, listen to what I've read, or this is what I heard about, and I think this applies to us, and how can we do it differently or, or, or whatever? So I think you're right. One person to coach is really an important role. And of course, if you do end up being a couple in conflict, I often think so long as you resolve in front of your children, it's not all lost, is it? That's a very, very important thing that we model to children conflict and we also model repair. Mm. That actually one way and another even though we've been really really triggered and really behaved badly or whatever's happened one way or another as the couple we can manage to sort it out it just adds a level of safety in those children's lives mm, yes. which makes a huge thing and you know years ago Pete and I ended up having a 
terrible argument in the motor car with the children on in, in the back. You know, you know, you and you can't know nowhere to go. I'm totally ashamed of even talking about it. But um, <laughs> the next day, I said to our youngest daughter, she must have been about 15 then. I said, I'm really sorry, Shirley, that your dad and I had that argument and behaved so badly in front of you. It's not nice seeing anybody fight like that, let alone your parents. And you know what she said? She looked at me and she said, Mum, it's all right because I know you're going to sort it out. And I just realised, do you know, for children to have that level of security is huge. Mm -hmm. That is so important. Now, speaking of importance, I want to ask you, we've gone over what can go wrong and why we can have our hiccups and so on. Mm. What else can we plough into our relationships, so and invest in that can make them better places? I often think it's the small consistencies of every day that matter more than the big gestures. What do you think? You are absolutely right. And it's so fascinating that. Remember I mentioned John Gottman earlier. Part of his research said that one heartfelt appreciation that really lands in us. So if Pete said to me something just that made me feel valued or seen or cherished, it lasts in our whole system for three days. Isn't that amazing? Three days. So what happens is our stress hormones go right down, our heartbeat goes down, our breathing goes deeper, our blood pressure goes down. I mean. Our whole system is affected. Our immune system comes up. This is just one appreciation and how it lasts in our system for three days. And the same with him. If, if I give him a heartfelt appreciation that lands in him, it makes him a lot healthier. So the more we can help each other not have high stress in our relationship, the better and more healthy we are psychologically and physically. And so... What is so interesting about looking for what I can appreciate in my partner is that you start looking for what's right and mm. not saying, oh, there we go again, he's done it again, and uh, noticing all, all the deficit stuff. Mm. It's so important. And you find that slowly but surely your brain changes and you start really finding things to appreciate much easier. It's so interesting. The more we focus on, the more it's likely to come towards us. So the more we focus on the, what he's doing wrong, what he's, what's, what's, what's up with him, why this and why that, the more we focus on that, the more that is going to come to us, the bad relationship, the deficit stuff. The more we focus on actually, how lovely, how lovely that he's, he's done that for me. Mm-hmm. He's cleaned the kitchen or, or whatever it is the more the whole relationship slowly shifts into having the space between the two people in a much more positive, vibrant place. It's building culture, isn't it? And it's so much easier to pick out the bits that haven't been done well than to stop and go, I really appreciate that. It's a focus shift, isn't it? It just is so healthy for us. And it needs to be specific, doesn't it? Exactly. Absolutely. And you know, I'm hoping that whoever's listening to this, if they remember nothing else, that they'll just remember that because a small thing every day is life changing and it's a high calling to live with someone. How long have you been married, Margie? 
1972. What is that now? Gosh, nearly 50 years. <laughs> and he's, he was my first boyfriend, and, he's, and I've never looked at anybody else. It's really been quite interesting. And you know what's so funny is one thing that attracted me to Pete was that he had such a stimulating mind. And, you know, it's one of the things I still love about him. Oh. So, uh, yeah, I'm very, very lucky. Let me say we've had a lot of ups and downs, a lot of ups and downs on the way. And have you found your own research helpful there? Have you practiced what you preach? You know, both of us have, and it has been phenomenal. I don't know whether we would have survived because you know how it all started, Madeleine? I was a young, wet behind the ears, social worker in this agency that did marriage and family counseling and here I was sitting with a couple who were functioning high functioning people and lovely people and they were having a heck of an argument and I looked at them and I thought what is going on here do you know they've got the brains not yep. to fight about I thought no there's something really strange going on here and you know how people can be functional and good and yet the next thing is this energy comes up mm. and what was so hard for me was I recognize that that's exactly what happened in our relationship. Go along, fine, doing okay. And then something would come out of left field over something tiny and knock us both sideways. And we would have a terrible fall down and it would take weeks to really come back to being okay with each other and ourselves again. I made a sort of promise to myself that this is going to be what I'm going to find out about. And so I spent, in fact virtually my whole career hmm. finding out about relationships would you say that was an epiphanic moment when you just went this is what I'm all about yeah absolutely I know a lot of people who are grateful that you did <laughs> oh well thank you for that so I'm going to ask you Margie as I ask everyone on my podcast because it's called the courageous mama can you think of a courageous thing that you've done in your life I think Maybe the most courageous parenting thing I've done was when my three daughters, who were all quite close together, were in the dangerous teenage stage. You know, they were drinking underage, they were sneaking out, they were going to all sorts of parties and nightclubs and things underage. It's a most terrifying time for a parent. And I said to them all, I said, I can't control everything you do. But if you are ever in difficulties, no matter what time of day, no matter what time of night, if you are ever in trouble, whether you've had too much to drink, whether whatever, you phone me and I'll come and fetch you and I won't ask any questions. For me, that was the most difficult thing because I'm such a nosy parker. And... <laughs> and <laughs> And it was a big switch because the kids knew that they could phone. And a couple of times they did in very uncompromising situations. And I was just so grateful that I'd had the courage to say that to them. I mean, and it's just awful collecting a body that's smelling so strongly of alcohol that you, you don't know. It's almost sweating alcohol. <laughs> but that's, you know, I love that because what you are then is you're a safe space and they need yeah. that, don't they? Our adolescents need it because they are really betwixt and between in a lot of places, aren't they? A lot of ways. And it's good for them to know that when they get out of their depths, it's okay. 
Tell me what ages your children are now, or what decade they're in. Two in their 40s and one in their 30s. What's your eldest grandchild? He's 12. So are you getting near to offering him the same? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just going to remind his mother. (laughs) Isn't she fun? We had such a great time chatting. There's so much wisdom right there. Knowing how you're wired, knowing what fuels your partner, understanding our differences and being intentional about those little things that can influence our relationships. It's the small consistencies of every day that are life-changing. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Do pop across to the blog where I've put all the salient points down so that you can reflect, you can share it with someone, you can ping it to somebody and you can reference those points as you journey on. The link is in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, ping it to a friend or two. And if there are things in the podcast about the relationships, about the brain and about our children that you've enjoyed, you may well enjoy my book. It's called Parenting for Life and it's a gorgeous, and I can say that because I didn't design it myself, hardback, full colour, illustrated book. And you can pick out one page or you can read it from cover to cover and it's richly full of all of the insights and wisdom that I've gleaned over the years and worked out what works, what doesn't, what's truth and what stands and what we don't need to worry so much about. And I know that you'll love it because so many people have. And for you, my listeners, and for my blog readers, it's available at £14.99, delivered to your door for you to enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. It's just been a joy to share all of this stuff with you. To contact me or Margie or find the blog, it's all in the show notes. So thank you so much for joining me today. I love traveling with you. Have a great day. See you next week.